First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read the passage we're going to be covering to you. Uh, coming tonight, I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll get into our study. He says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, we will finish the last section of this uh, next week. There's some things in here that we won't get to cover tonight. So what we don't cover from this section tonight, plus the rest of the book, will be covered next week as we wrap up First Peter 5. Uh, first, the book of First Peter. But before we even get into the verses that I just read to you, I want to go back to verse 4 and, and look at something that I left off uh, last week that I just didn't have time for. You see it in verse 4. Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, what I want you to see here is this word that is translated crown is very important. There are two words in the Greek that are translated crown in our English. One is diadema, but that crown was only worn by royalty. There's another word that's translated crown, and it's stephanos. And that is a crown that is earned. It's given to the victor. All right. And the word here in 1 Peter 5 verse 4 is stephanos, not the royalty uh, crown, but the crown for the victor, crown for the one who's been rewarded for achieving, if you will. Now, this is the exact same word we see in Revelation 4 and Revela- chapter 4, verse 4, and chapter 4, verse 10. So I want you to turn there. I want you to see something here. Go to Revelation 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 4, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. says, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Alright, we see that? That they had crowns of gold on their head. That word crown is in the Greek, stephanos. Not the royalty crown, but the crown given to someone as a victory award, if you will. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and then go on and worship and saying, You're worthy. Again, we see that word there. It's Stephanos. It's the crown given to someone that's a victor. Now, there's a couple of things I want to pull out to you. First of all, as you've heard me teach on Revelation before, I believe that many things here in Revelation 4 show that these 24 elders is representative of the church. If you remember that they were uh, the, the priests were division, broken up into 24 divisions in First Chronicles, we see that. And the worship leaders were broken up into 24 divisions. And whenever that division served, they were representative of the whole. Uh, we see here uh, there, there are 24 thrones and 24 elders around the throne worshiping God. And I believe without question, this is a picture of 
the church because of the fact that they were called 24 elders and we also saw that and the importance of elders as we did our study last week. At the same time, these crowns are not royalty crowns they're wearing, but they're crowns that are given to someone who has been rewarded for their labor. And then they take those crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus as if to say, we didn't do this, you did. Further picture of the fact that this is the church here, already seen in heaven at this point when the tribulation begins. One of those further things of many, many things that tie together. But I want to talk to you, see, because it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, Peter was talking back here in 1 Peter chapter uh, um, 5, verse 4, about the elders. And when the chief shepherd appears, he'll reward them with Stephanos crowns. And that is true. But I want to talk to you about the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are born again, if you are His child, He has work that He wants to do through you, and there are crowns waiting for you, even if you're not supposed to be an elder. Okay? And I want to show you that. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. If you remember back as you're turning there in Revelation, uh, Jesus had promised... There you go. You got the crowns for me. That's awesome. In Revelation chapter... Uh, uh, Three, uh, 2 and 3, we saw that Jesus in His message to the churches, He made them the promise, I will give... Thank you very much for blocking the sun. Uh, that's pretty good, but you can't stay there. Uh, actually, if you could do it from outside the room, Ron, that would be, that'd be really good. So, but uh, um, thank you, though. It's going, the sun's going down, so I won't be blind for long. But remember, Jesus promised, those who, who overcome, I will give you the right to sit on thrones with, you know, with my Father. I'm going to give you crowns. Folks... The 24 elders of the church. And they're laying the crowns that they were rewarded. People try to say, well, those are angels. Angels aren't rewarded for their labor. We are rewarded for our labor. And so they were given crowns. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Again, remember, you have been saved through grace and by faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift to God, not of works, and no one can boast. But you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He planned in advance for you to do. I won't, don't want you sitting back and saying, well, I'm not going to be an elder. That crown coming, that Stephanos crown coming is not for me because I'm not an elder. No, 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 no. He's going to give crowns to everyone in the church according to what it is that they were doing or what it is that God asked you to do, what He gifted you to do. Have you been faithful to be doing what it is that He gave you to do? And here He says, each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Some plant, some water. God's going to hold you accountable for what position He gave you. You're in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Go to verse 58. Sorry, you're in 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 15, verse 58. Look what Paul says here. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do we know it's not in vain? He tells us it's not in vain. Very good. How else do we know it's not in vain? We just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, He's going to reward you according to your labor. When we get there, there's going to be reward for what it is that He's done, been able to do through us by faith, not of our own energy or of the flesh, but actually of His Spirit, His power, as we walk in obedience to Him and trust Him to do it through us, He will reward us. That's why it's easy for us at that time, when it's our turn, maybe, maybe we take turns like the priest did. Remember? 
The priests would have to serve for a few weeks according to their divisions, and then they would have to go back. That's why um, Zechariah was serving. He was of the priestly division of Abijah. And it was their turn to serve. And he was chosen by Lot to do the incense, and he had the angel Gabriel come and speak to him about his son being born. Who knows? Maybe in heaven we take turns. The church gets to for eternity. Have a time where we get to sit around the throne and worship Jesus as the 24 elders. Who knows? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But it's, it used to bother me, though. See, I used to think that I busted my fanny for that crown. I knew I was saved by faith and that I couldn't do anything to get saved except just receive it and trust God and thank Him for His salvation. But I knew that the Bible says that I was to work, store up treasure in heaven. And for years, whenever I saw that passage where the... The, the, the 24 elders laid their crowns down. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to get mine back. Because I worked hard for that. I know I'm in heaven because of His grace, but I've worked hard for these rewards. But now I've come to realize anything I'll be rewarded for, I didn't do. It's no problem to give it back to Him because He did it all. I didn't do anything. And I stopped working in my own effort and my labor to be rewarded. I'm now just saying, what do you got in mind? I trust you. Let's go. And He does it through me. And it's made it such a difference. You know it's changed my preaching? See, when I used to preach in my own strength, trying to be a good steward and trying to be faithful to God, I used to panic and fret and worry whether or not I was prayed up enough and whether or not I studied enough. And I would go in, panic, oh, hope this is good enough, God. And then when it was over, I'd second-guess and question, oh, maybe I should have said this, and oh, I should have said that, and maybe I definitely shouldn't have said what I said there. And I would spend all this time <laughs> examining how well I did. We never do that. But you know what? It's changed how I study now. Because now as I study, I'm just eating and feeding. And when I go to teach or preach, I believe He's going to do it through me. And I let Him. And when I walk out of here tonight, I ain't going to second guess a thing. Because I gave this to the Lord and He's going to do it. And I'm not going to check whether or not I did a good job. Because He said He'll take care of that. Paul said the same thing, didn't he? I don't even examine myself. I wouldn't even give myself a fair judgment. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. But I just want to ask you this question. When He comes and His reward is with Him, and He wants to give you a Stephanos crown. Have you been letting Him do through you what He has in mind to do through you? Yes, ma'am. It's without question it's different. That's right. When you let Him do it, it's joy. It's easy. There's a lot of people that are do, doing Christian ministry right now who don't understand what we're talking about. They're like Martha. Lord, tell my sister to help me. This is hard. Uh, you know what? It, you might not be doing what it is that God has gifted you to do. You might be doing something because someone on the nominating committee signed you up. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. There is a yoke, folks. There is a burden. But it's easy and it's light when it's what God wants you to do. One of the ways you may find out you're not where you belong is, if you're fretting about it, you're burnt out, this is hard, you dread it. Man, I'm telling you, I've... I preach Sunday. I preach Monday night at the homeless shelter. I preach today at noon. I'm doing a study tonight. I go tomorrow to the radio station and record 12 days of radio programs. It's fun. It's fun. I love it. But this is what He's gifted me to do. What's He gifted you to do? Let me give you one more verse. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Plus, with all that preaching, I don't have to work at my parents' house and my brother and sister-in-law have to take care of it. 
My wife just said, you were just thinking that. There you go. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, verses... <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 12. God is not unjust, folks. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I'm not telling you to go out and do something for God. Uh Uh-uh. I'm saying go do what it is that God's gifted you to do. But where should it be manifested? Who should you be directing whatever your gifts are to? Others. God's people. If your gifts don't build up the body, don't call it a spiritual gift. Alright? We're not going to take the time to go into that stuff, but there are some things that people call a spiritual gift, but it doesn't edify the body. If it ain't for edifying the body, it's not a spiritual gift. Alright? Now, let's go to the passage that I read at the beginning and actually study it now. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now again, what I want to point out to you here is something that you might not have even thought about. Here in the first generation church, there were young people and old people. Did you catch that? God wasn't only saving the old or He wasn't only saving the young. There, This is the early church. This is the first generation of believers. There were young and old already. Now, there's a reason I want to bring this out to you. Because there's something happening in the church today that is actually detrimental to God's design for family and, and God's design for the church. There's a tendency in Christendom today for us to segment the older and the younger into our like-mindedness, if you will. There are those churches that are, well, we just kind of like our stuff and we're going to make it for our older people. And there are those churches that, well, we're going to try to reach the young folks and we're going to do things our way. And the Bible is very clear about the importance of the young and the old intermingling and the older teaching the young and the young actually helping the older with zeal. I I wrote it to myself this way. The young have energy and zeal. They want to go get it for God. The older have wisdom and know some of the pitfalls of life, but the older have a tendency to tend toward living in the past instead of in the now. We need each other, folks. We need each other. I was teaching about six years ago at a church in Mississippi, and I took the pastor and his wife to dinner beforehand, and I said, just tell me about your church, because I had just flown into New Orleans and drove from there to Mississippi, and I had just I didn't know who these people really were that I was going to be speaking to. And the pastor says, well, we've designed our church to reach 18 to 24-year-olds. I said, could you say that again? They said, we have designed our church to reach 18 to 24-year-olds. And I said, hang on for a second. So if I'm 15 or 40, what did I just hear? This church ain't for you. I said, let me ask you a question. If Philip had designed the people he was going to go reach, do you think he would have ever picked Ethiopian eunuchs? That wouldn't have been his target group. See, this pastor had been taught had been taught by the seminary that he was at that they were to pick their target audience and design a church for them. Without realizing it, we're ignoring whole passages of Scripture that talk about the young and the old and the intermingling. Some of you out here are old, and I'm glad I get to hang out with you. 
I was shooting at a few people over here, but totally, totally missed it. Trying to call myself young, you know, but what good is what good is zinging you if you guys are already asleep? All right. But here in the early church, there was a mixture. So let me just say, I understand older folks don't see things the same way young people do. And young people don't see them the way older people do. And in our flesh, there's a human tendency to say, you have your church, we'll have ours. You service meets at 8.30, ours will meet at 11. And I just say to you, please, 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 understand that God has designed for us all to get together and Him to shape us with each other. And we need you, you need us, whoever the we and the us are, because I'm kind of in that age group that's in the middle now. I'm too old for the young people and I'm too young for the old people. And, uh, hey! And, uh, uh, then he goes on and says, all of you though, clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. This word translated clothe, by the way, is used only here in the New Testament. And it comes from the root word meaning not. K-N-O-T. To not something. It's actually a picture of tying on an apron over your clothes and knotting it to serve. That's what the picture is here. Clothe yourselves means put on an apron and knot it to serve one another. All of you, humble yourselves and be submissive to each other. Young people, be submissive to the older folks. Older folks, don't say, yeah, that's about time they're submissive. No, clothe yourself, not your apron, and meet their need. And get to know each other and let God turn you both into what He wants you to be, using your wisdom and your years to help them avoid some of the pitfalls of life. And at the same time, it's good for you to be around those young folks as it will keep you from getting stale and crabby. Alright? Now, I want to just point out one thing from John 13 that I really think we need to take a look at. Go to John chapter 13. Because this nodding our apron to serve definitely will give us a picture of what Jesus did. Is it not? Of what He did here in John 13? But I want you to see something. And I want to kind of just pull one aspect of this story out. John chapter 13, look at verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover feast... Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave the world, this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and He wrapped a towel around His waist... After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now we're going to stop here. You hopefully understand that the Bible teaches, not just in this passage, but in many other places, that we're to serve one another. And that we're to humble ourselves and God will exalt us. Right? We know that. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But we have a tendency to look at this and say, well, I'm going to intentionally take the low road so that down the road I will be exalted. I'm going to humble myself so that down the road I will be rewarded for my humility. And we try to serve from a position of lowness and hope that down the road we will be exalted. Correct? Did you catch how Jesus did it? Why did He wrap Himself in a towel and serve them? 
It wasn't because he was trying to be lowly and then one day I'll be exalted. Listen again what it says. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Listen to verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. And He served because He knew who He was and because He has already understood that He was exalted. Did you catch that? He, because He knew who He was, He was then able to humble Himself and meet the need. Here's the reason why the young have a hard time submitting and serving the older. And the old have a hard time submitting and serving the younger. It's because we don't understand. We are already highly favored. We are already children of righteousness. We are already seated in the heavenly realms. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we think, well, i got to lower myself again to take care of these young people and let them get what they want. Well, I sure hope down the road God will reward me for this. And we serve out of a low position and hope to be exalted. Jesus, because He understood who He was and He was from God, all authority had been given to me. i got nothing I need down here. Therefore, I'm able to lay down my desires and my wants and my wishes and my flesh and I'm able to meet the need because I'm good. Whether they ever pick the song I like or not means nothing. Oh, by the way, I said that to the old and the young. Did you hear what I'm saying though? You can't serve each other like this until you understand that you are already beloved in Jesus Christ. And you are His. And He's got you. And he, as you'll see, He's going to lift you up. You're already lifted up. Don't serve out of a low position in hopes one day to be rewarded. Serve because you know you're already who Jesus says you are. And you're not living for this world. You know, too many of us try to compromise. Alright, I'll give up this if you'll give up that. We sit around and count how many courses, how many hymns. We don't get it. We still think, okay, well, I'll humble myself now, but, you know, I'm only doing this because I'm, I'm humble. If you really understand who you are in Jesus, you don't care if you ever get your way. Go back to 1 Peter 5. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this? All Why should we clothe ourselves or not ourselves with the apron of humility toward each other? Because God opposes the proud, folks. Even your false humility is from pride. It's what it is. Your false humility comes from pride. Oh, I'm the one that's going to humble myself again in this fight between husband and wife. I'm the one that always humbles myself. I'm the spiritual giant in this house. And when you point out your humility, it's coming from your pride. And God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. By the way, you're going to see this quote again later tonight. But I want you to see where it comes from. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. 
It says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools He holds up to shame. What I want you to see from this passage, and you're going to see it clarified a little bit later down the road too, is that if you're going to be proud, even if it's fake humility really coming from pride, you will meet resistance. And guess who you're going to meet resistance from? God. He'll give His grace to the ones who are truly humble. And by the way, the only way you can be really humble is to know who you are and where you come from. You understand? It comes out of the fact that you're already exalted. Yes, ma'am. No, I can almost guarantee you it didn't cross his mind. Boy, I'm being really humble right now. Because yes. he's ex- exactly he was expressing the full extent of his love. It wasn't. I'll be humble. I'll put my wills down. If you're thinking I'm going to be humble, you're already defeated. Look at you, Ada. I'm loving watching God grow you up. This is awesome. I'm serious. I'm seeing it happening. It's awesome. Is you what she said? She said, if you're saying, well, I'm being humble, you're already defeated. Hopefully you mamas understand this. You mamas have a love for your kids, right? And that love and the things you do for them, you don't think to yourself, boy, I hope you really appreciate what I do for you. Hopefully you're not like that. Hopefully you do what you do and you sacrifice the things you sacrifice because you love them. You don't even think about it. Unfortunately, we sometimes get in the flesh, though, don't we? And we start thinking, oh man, if you, I was in, and we start telling our kids how many years we were in labor with them and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Some people exaggerate. <laughs> he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then I want you to see next what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Now, I want you to understand the context of who this was said to. They were under Roman authority at this time, and most likely under Nero's authority. They were under Rome's mighty hand at this point. And He was not lifting them up. Any kind of submission they even gave, He pushed down harder. And he's saying to these Christians at that time, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Now, it is God's will to lift us up. But I don't want you to miss the fact that the Spirit had Peter say, in due time. Are you okay with this? Because that means God gets to determine when you are lifted up. When He takes His hand off uh, or allows whatever entity He's using to take you down to take His hand up. Yes, ma'am? At the proper time. At the proper time is is good too. He gets to determine when it is. Um, We can call uncle all we want. I just trying to remember. How many of you remember said uncle? Okay. What's the word now? And nowadays in the fighting world, it's tapping out, you know, kind of a thing. Tapping out when you get and you're wrestling somebody and they got you and you give up, you tap the, the floor and you're supposed, the other person's supposed to let go. It's called tapping out. Well, they don't watch that fighting stuff anyway, so they don't know. So, go ahead. If we are truly walking with him, we're exalted all the time. 
Yes. Because we've got the peace, we've got the love, we've got the joy, we've got all of the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus served because He already knew who He was. He wasn't doing it in hopes to be rewarded down the road. Listen closely though what's going on. Are we okay with the fact that God determines when we're lifted up? Or does He have to do it in our time? Or or else we'll leave the faith? What if in due time isn't until heaven? I could give you listings of people in the Bible that the Bible says that in due time it was on the other side. Think back to me. We're going to take the time to turn there because we're a little behind schedule here because you got me preaching. But uh, Matthew chapter 11, you can turn there later and look at verses 1 through 6. John the Baptist is sitting in prison and he's discouraged and he says, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus sends word back through the prophets saying, hey, everything's right on schedule. But then Jesus makes a comment in verse 6. He says this, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me, on account of how I run my world. And what happened to John the Baptist next? They took his head off. He was lifted up, but the due time wasn't here. Are you okay with that? Or do you think God owes you something? You still don't understand who you are if you think He owes you something. Remember, God is using these times of trials and suffering for His good purposes. Remember two weeks ago in our study, we talked about the refining process. And the smelting process, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. But it's God who tests the heart. He's doing this to make us more like Him. He's trying to prove our faith genuine. But I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure, God Himself, in jars of clay. That's how he's describing our bodies. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, how dare He say that? In comparison to eternity. But you know, this is the same Paul that just said, we are hard-pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I tell you right now, in my 20 plus years of pastoring, I sure did love those folks who had the relationship with Christ. 
that made them low maintenance. There's too many in the church today that think it's all about them and their wishes and their needs and their desires and what they think it should be. And they make lots of appointments with the pastor to yang yang about what things ought to be and how they're not getting their needs met. How they show up to worship to receive a blessing when the Bible says we are to always come to worship in order to give. We, if you notice, whenever God taught about worship, they were to bring, they were to bring, they were to bring. Your worship should come of the overflow of your receiving all the time from Him so that you just give when you come. But we come to be blessed. And we come to receive. And that's not what worship is, folks. But oh, to be people in our churches, and there are many represented here, that you understand who you are in Christ. And it isn't about you and your desires and your wishes. And you're able to knot your apron and serve those. Not because you hope to be rewarded one day because you've taken the humble road. But because I'm not living for here. And it's not about me. And you know what? I'm leaving myself in God's hand and He said He'll, He'll lift me up in His time. And that's whenever He wants. I'm good. Cast all your anxiety upon Him, He said and goes on to say. Because He what? I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe this? I mean, we know the words and we know the right answer. Yeah, we're supposed to, but let's be honest. Sometimes we question it, don't we? Yeah. I was talking to a mother who had a daughter who passed away about a year ago. and The daughter had times where she questioned the mother's love. And the mother was sitting there weeping on her couch and saying, how could she ever question our love for her? All we did, how could she question our love? And I asked her this simple question. Have you ever questioned God's love for you? Well, yeah. After all that He did for you. She's like, oh, I see it. I said, we're all that way. We all go through times where we question His love. But folks, I want you to listen to these words again because these words will do us no good unless you eat them. Unless you drink them in. Take them into your heart by faith. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You've got to believe it by faith in order to receive it. You've got to believe it by faith in order to receive it. Don't just sit here and say, yes, the Lord cares for me. No, you don't get it if you can just say it. Do you believe it? Has it affected you to the point that you believe it? Let me read to you two passages real quick. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. I referenced this one last week, but it's just one of my absolute favorites, and I want to read it to you again. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms, and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. And I'll be honest with you, folks. I picture God holding Jim Johnson close. Sometimes I just need that picture. And I take His Word to heart. He also said in Matthew chapter 11, we've already talked about it, Come unto Me, verses 28-30, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, because I am meek and humble of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, because My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Go ahead, Jim. What is the interesting thing is, is uh, everybody wants to walk with God. Everybody wants to follow 
nobody sits down and says, Lord, give me the cares that I need so that I can cast them upon you. There's no casting if there's no care. Well, you're right. We've talked about this in the past. I don't want this and I don't want that. Exactly. You can't cast, as you just said, you can't cast your care upon Him unless you have cares. At the same time, you know, the Bible says that God said in Deuteronomy, I caused you to hunger so that I could feed you with manna that no one had ever known before. To teach you the man doesn't live by God's word alone. Sorry, by bread alone, but by every word of God's mouth. In other words, God says, I made you hungry, but our prayers are, Lord, make it so I'm never hungry again. And then I'll trust in you. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. You don't understand that these light and momentary troubles, I know that sounds so hard for some of us to hear, especially if we're in our fourth round of cancer. These light and momentary troubles are far outweighed by what is coming. Do you believe it? You're going to have to, folks, because that's what it means to live by faith. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He will lift you up at the proper time and cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And then He says, be alert. As much as we should know that God cares for us, we should also know that our enemy, the devil, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. You've heard me teach on this before. Satan can do nothing to you without your father's permission, but God allows him a lot to do what he's good at so God can accomplish his purposes through the enemy as he allows him to do in our lives what God sets the parameters and the limits of. But it's in those times that God wants us to run to him so that we may learn even more of who he is. But we need to be on the alert. Because he's looking for someone to devour. The Bible says he's a roaring lion. By the way, has anybody ever been there in person when a lion roared? Has anybody here? You froze in your tracks, didn't you? We were at the Brookfield Zoo years ago when I was pastor in Chicago and our kids were little. And it was feeding time in the lions. We weren't even near the lions. But you heard it over the entire zoo. And I'm not kidding you. Ask Becky. Every human being in the zoo froze. It petrified us. And not only did all the human beings freeze, every animal in that place was like, And it was amazing. When he roars, he's hungry. And when he roars, it's a part of his tactic to intimidate and paralyze us in fear. I understood the roar of the lion. Son, that lion was very successful. It's been, it's been 15 years, and I still to this day break into a sweat when I think about it. I can't even imagine having him be out of that cage and roaring like that. <clears throat> but God says to us, stand firm. Resist him. I don't know if anybody caught this or not, but what I've been reading to you in the passage that we've been breaking down should have sounded familiar to you. You should have been having this... I've read this somewhere before. Go with me to James chapter 4. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verses 4 through 10. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. 
That's why the Scripture says, boy, we've heard this before, haven't we? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I sat there thinking as I was reading 1 Peter and breaking it down and kind of meditating over what God would have me teach. I was like, Lord, that's almost word for word what I remember James saying. And I went back and looked and then I realized James and Peter hung out together. James was one of the elders in the Jerusalem church and Peter was for a time. And then he was on missionary journeys. James wrote his gospel, or not gospel, but wrote his pastoral epistle around 50 A.D. or right in that time. And Peter wrote his in the early 60s. Peter was sharing what he and James probably had talked about. This is almost word for word. Listen, James quotes the same passage, Proverbs 3.34, as Peter did. James tells us to resist the devil, just like Peter did. And James tells us to humble ourselves before God and He'll lift us up, just like Peter did. But then something jumped out at me here that I've been waiting to get to all night. And we have 11 minutes. I think we can do it. As I was reading Second, sorry, First Peter here, I started to realize there's something going on here. I've heard this before. There seems to be a pattern. And before I tell you what that pattern is, there's one more thing I have to tell you about resisting Satan. Did you catch that Peter does not say fight him? Peter and James did not say fight Satan. I command you, Satan. You can't do that. I bind you, Satan. You can't do that. The only one that has the power to bind him is the one who has the keys. And that's Jesus. Oh, by the Jesus in me that... No, no, no. You still don't get it. You just just say no. Stand firm. Submit yourself to God. Uh, I say it this way. Don't fight Him. Say no. Run to your daddy. While, and in doing so, the devil will leave. Because he ain't going to run because of you. He's going to run because of who you just ran to. Don't fall into any of those people out there that are teaching that you're going to bind Satan and you're going to command Satan and you're going to... No, 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 no. You're going to get whacked. If God allows Him to fight you, you ain't going to win. But we are to stand firm and say no. And the reason we're able to say no and the reason He'll walk away is not because of us, but because of whose robe we just backed ourselves up into. But like I said, there's more here. I started to realize as I was looking at this, now you're going to stick with me here because you might not see it at first, but it's going to come, away, it's going to come out of this passage. I started to realize in this passage that he talks about submitting ourselves, humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, uh, uh, casting all our anxieties upon Him, resist the devil. I realized as I was reading this, this is the Lord's Prayer, folks. Folks, this is the Lord's Prayer. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9-13. through 13. Matthew 6, verses 9-13. through 13. When Jesus was teaching on the model or the template for prayer, He says this. He says, This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now some of you that King James translation, you also have a verse here that many other translations don't have. And it's because of the different manuscripts that they translated from. But if you have a King James, it then says what? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep that in mind. The NAS, because that's the set of manuscripts that they translated from, had that extra verse. But it's interesting. Whenever It doesn't matter what translation anybody has. If you ask everybody to recite the Lord's Prayer, they always recite it in King James. We always have, for God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alright, now keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind now. And think back over what we've looked at in First Peter. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. He cares for you. Catch that. Father, You are God and You're my Father. You're God and You're my Father. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. He cares for you. He's not just God. He's Your Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In His due time. Remember, He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our, our attitude and our prayer in this template of our, in the Lord's Prayer, or the model for prayer, or the template for prayer, is that we are to say, Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on this earth. How You want things to be, not how I want things to be. Therefore, I need to humble myself and let Him decide when that perfect time is. He then goes on and says, Give us this day our daily bread. Cast all your anxiety upon Him. He cares for you. Oh, forgive us as we forgive others. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Stand firm. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Do you see it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And read verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I had never seen that before, folks. But as I was reading it and just meditating on it, and I'm telling you, as you read it, let God just speak to your heart. Let it just still say, well, I did my Bible reading for today. Good for me. You know, and then run on to whatever you want to head to next. But read it, and then let it sink in. Meditate on it. Let God speak to you. As I did, I thought, wait a minute. He's saying the same thing James said. Then I went and found and saw James and he were saying the same stuff. But as I kept reading, I kept meditating. All of a sudden, God said, there's more. And that's all of a sudden it just jumped off the page. This is the template for the Lord's Prayer. God's model for prayer will keep you in line with God's instructions through Peter. God's model for prayer will keep you in line with God's instructions that He's given us here through Peter. You want to worry about whether or not you do everything right in 1 Peter 5, 5-11? Get the template for prayer that we are to pray daily throughout. Now, I'm not saying you have to say those words, our Father, our Father, no, it's a template. I've had people say, no, 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 it says, when you pray, say this. No, if that were true, Jesus would have prayed that in the garden in John chapter 17. He prayed a different type of prayer. But it was modeled in the template for prayer. Remember, Jesus says, Father, when Jesus says, here's what I want, but not what I want, what you want. Again, not my will, but yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. All the way through, you'll see. He prayed for protection from the evil one. Did He not? Remember in John 17, protect, protect those who are yours. 
all the way through. This model for prayer, it should be there for you. And so I'm just going to challenge you. Become men and women who know what it means to take the template of prayer that God's given us and then talk to God and let Him walk you through what it means to cast all your anxieties upon Him. And He will walk you through it. And you're going to be one of those people who become low maintenance in the eyes of your pastor. You want to say something, Allison? Yeah, looking at um, you know, how he prayed in the, in the garden, he asked, and God tells us, ask. Yes. What asked with God to be done? In the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say anything about asking, but the relationship wasn't there yet. The salvation. Well, give us this day our daily bread. There's asking there. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's a physical need that mm-hmm. a lot of people see it as, mm-hmm. rather than just the, just the little things yep. in life. Come to Him and cast all your anxiety on Him. I can't wait to see what we're going to find out in this last little bit where He says, with the help of Silas, I wrote this letter. You'll be amazed what God's going to show us next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You so much. Because there's still some more in this section that You want us to look at, and we're going to dive into that next week. But at the same time, uh, even in the conclusion of this letter, You want to teach us some things because every word is breathed by You. So Lord, bring us back excited next week to see what it is You want us to see from the last little bit of this book. But Lord, between now and then, may we apply these truths. May we truly believe that You care for us. May we not be worried about our wishes and our desires. May You put a burden in our hearts for those who aren't of our generation. And may You, in the way in which You use many things to mold us and to shape us into Your image, Use those around us to do that. And may we serve each other, not with a desire to be rewarded one day for our humility, but may we do it because we already understand how loved we are by You. And that we are, we've already received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Lord, help us to understand that and forgive us for expecting the pastors to meet that need. Lord, may this group become one of the greatest blessings to all the leaders in their churches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.